0: You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congelled in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So you may recall so far in our study of exile and exodus, we've looked at a couple passages in Genesis and the book of Exodus that actually precede the crossing of the Red Sea, which is typically what we think of when we think of God's exodus of the people of Israel. And so today we're going to look at the crossing of the Red Sea to see what does it teach us about the exodus, old and new. So we're in Exodus chapter 15. We'll be focusing on verses 1 through 18. Uh, But as a quick little background, the exodus and crossing of the Red Sea is a very important event. Obviously in Israel's history, uh, it's a game changer. It enables them to eventually go to the promised land, become a nation, not just a group of nomadic tribes gathered together. But it's interesting to consider that Exodus 14 and 15 tell the story back to back. The only difference is Exodus 14 gives you more the details of the actual crossing. And so Exodus 14 is more in the style of prose, like a narrative. Here's what's happening in time with the crossing of the Red Sea. Exodus 15 is actually a celebration standing on the other side of the crossing. And so that is written more in the format of poetry. It's celebrating what has just taken place. And so when we come to Exodus 15, I'd like us to think about it in in two parts or two sections in this chapter. In the first section, we're we're going to join Israel in reliving the Exodus. We're going to join Israel in reliving the Exodus in verses 1 through 12. Uh, and so look at me at verse 1 and 4 of Exodus chapter 15. Notice you have a phrase that is repeated in the first verse and the fourth verse. And the phrase is at the end of verse 1. It says, the horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. And then you go down to verse 4, and basically the same thing. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The the focus of this is what God has just done. And I don't know about you, but I, I think most of us with music, especially hymns or worship choruses, if you have a favorite hymn or worship chorus, it probably takes you back to a certain event. Or a time when you're singing that, you're thinking of, of how you associate certain circumstances with what that hymn is talking about. And so here in this hymn of praise, it is a praise to God for his attributes and actions, which are summed up in that repetitive phrase, he has hurled them into the sea but we're gonna look closer at that is what are the attributes that they praise God for as this song was meant to be not just sung because this event had taken place, but it was become embedded in them throughout the generations that would follow, that this was a song that would help every generation relive the Exodus. Um, And so notice with me in verses one and two, we'll pick out, certain blocks of attributes we see. So in verses 1 and 2, we're reminded of the omnipotence of the Lord, uh, that he is all-powerful. Notice it says in verse 1, he is highly exalted. Uh, You could literally read that he is triumphant in triumphing. It's sort of taking it to the highest level you can. Uh, It reminds me a little bit of when Paul says that in Christ, we are more than conquerors. So we're not just conquerors, we're we're conquerors of a conquering state or condition. Uh, And so you have here this reminder of the Lord's omnipotence. Then you look at verse two, and you have the Lord is my strength, my song, and my salvation. Uh, And it's that word salvation that when you're reading it in the Old Testament, Typically points to physical deliverance, whereas when you, you when you kind of transition and think, well, how's it used in the New Testament? It's more God's spiritual deliverance. But from a physical standpoint, the Old Testament God physically delivers by the power of His might. But go down to verse three, and still focusing on the omnipotence of the Lord. Notice it says the Lord is a warrior. And earlier in Exodus, you have the reminder that God is going to fight for his people. And so it's an appropriate picture of the Lord as a warrior, one who is mighty, fighting on behalf of his people. And and here is Israel seeing that exactly happen before their eyes in an unforgettable way. But continuing on with God's omnipotence, which seems to be a central focus here, you go down to verses 4 through 7. And and notice what it says there. It's not just that God barely delivered them. This is a crushing victory. And so you notice in verse 4, he's hurled his chariots and Pharaoh's armies into the sea. Notice it goes on and says, the best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the sea. Um, When when God delivers, he delivers in a powerful way. Uh, What a reminder here, you know, Pharaoh didn't send his second or third string soldiers out and chariots. He sent the very best that he had. So there could never be any question, well, what if he had sent his best men? you know would it still would god still have been able to deliver us this closes that argument uh, god's power was no match for pharaoh's armies even the very best keep in mind in this time frame in the ancient world the egyptians were a superpower they were the most powerful nation in the ancient world And so there was no one else, if anyone, could take on God and beat him, it would be the Egyptians. Such an advanced culture, such a powerful army. And yet, as you clearly see here, that is no match for God's omnipotence. Notice again, you have in verse 6, it mentions, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. And then verse 7 emphasizes that victory. Uh, you threw down those who opposed you. Uh, what, what a picture of God's hand just delivering his people. Uh, and I think as even as we're reading that, we're kind of reliving the, the power of God here displayed among the ancient people of Israel. But I mentioned that in this first section of the song which goes through verses 1 through 12 you have god praise for what he has done and who he is so we've zeroed in on his omnipotence but you'll notice in the last part of verse 7 and 8 it focuses now on praising god for his justice like god's divine justice he executed his wrath against the enemies of his people And you see that connection there. If you are enemies of Israel, you are enemies of God because he belongs to them. He is their shepherd. It's kind of like what we might say with, you know, like how a mother cub acts. You know, you just don't go there. You don't do that. Uh, Well, here they've offended God's people. They've oppressed God's people. And so you see in verse 7, it says, you unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. Again, this picture of of no match for God's justice and his judgment. Uh, Stubble merely means what what quickly ignites and is engulfed in flames and is gone. Uh, So here's this powerful nation suddenly just removed from the picture as God's wrath is displayed. And then notice verse 8, by the blast of your nostrils. I mean, what, what a picture of an, an almost an effortless, that's it. I've, I've had enough. This this is my judgment now. Uh, and, and Israel would look back at this to be reminded of God's omnipotence, God's justice. But then you also have, again, the reminder of God's sovereignty. Uh, and you see this clearly in verses 9 through through 12. Um, in particular, notice verse 9, the, the arrogant sort of attitude of Pharaoh, certainly. You could say of the Egyptians as a nation, this repetitive, I will, I will, I will. Uh, if you think about it, that sounds an awful lot like Satan's comment in Ezekiel um, 28, Isaiah 14, where Satan rises up and says, I will be glorified. I will be magnified against God. And so suddenly now you're taking into a much bigger picture of of what's really going on here. Uh, This is the pride and arrogance of a people, you could say, really driven by the very rebellion that prompted Satan to rebel against God. And then it simply squelched by, in verse 10, but you blew your breath. You you just spoke and it's over. What an act of, of deliverance here. Then verse 11 says, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? And you have this reminder of Yahweh's uniqueness. So the term gods here is just a general title for rulers, can be rulers both on earth like Pharaoh Uh, I can also refer to, you know, who is like you among the angelic orders, the principalities, the powers. There is none like you. You are sovereign over all. And so when everything is said and done, verse 12 ends with, and the earth swallowed them up. So who's left standing here? God and his people. And that takes us through that first section of the psalm where we join Israel in reliving the exodus. But we realize that since the exodus is the greatest Old Testament event of deliverance, it is definitely commemorated in the psalm, but could it be that it's written down not just for Israel's benefit, but for ours? that God would want us more than to just relive the Exodus. What he really wants us to do is to rediscover the God of the Exodus. Because the second half of this Psalm takes us in a different direction in this hymn. And so if you look at verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Now they've, they've just crossed and come out of Egypt. Wasn't that the point of the Exodus? Like if you kind of think about this, I think most of us would conclude, well, the Exodus was to take them out of Egypt. And yet clearly in verse 13 here, God is saying he's not done with what he wants to do in his people. that that there are other exile and exoduses that he needs to take them through. In other words, in the second part of this song, there is a reminder the goal of the exodus was not the liberation of Israel from Egypt. The goal of the exodus was the glory of God. That's the big picture. So every exodus that occurred before this in Genesis, was pointing to something greater. Every exodus and deliverance that comes after this in Israel's history throughout the Old Testament is pointing to something greater. And and we see this if we look and kind of consider this, that when God was going to deliver them out of Egypt, if you look in the book of Exodus, five times God told the Egyptians or Pharaoh, all this would happen so that they might know that he is God. And that makes sense. We would say, all right, that's true. Pharaoh was not not a believer. The people of Egypt were not. So all of these plagues that would happen was not just to let Israel go, but it was to glorify God, that they would know that the Lord is God. But what's also interesting is five times he tells Moses, you will know that I am God. So in other words, this wasn't just to say to sinners, this will show you who God is. We're saying to God's own people, you will rediscover the God of the Exodus. Uh, You can turn to it if you'd like in Exodus 12 verse 12, we have that, that bigger picture of what the Exodus was all about in Exodus 12 and verse 12. And in verse 12, it simply says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And you notice that that's reminding us the judgments, everything that was happening was to not just be a judgment in general, specifically on the false gods of Egypt. And you could do a little research on your own, but it's fascinating to see how the plagues and the particular creatures involved in the plagues mirrored different Egyptian gods and goddesses. And so they would have understood this was a judgment, not just on them nationally. This was the God of Israel judging their false gods, the gods that they trust in. And so that gives us that perspective that the goal of the Exodus was not just to get Israel out of Egypt, it was to glorify God. But there's another aspect to that that we see here in Exodus 15, because... The God of the Exodus is always moving his people toward a greater exodus and deliverance to come. Just kind of think about that. Here they are. They've they've just crossed the Red Sea. Maybe for some of them, maybe they were thinking, this is great. God did what he said. We've moved us. We can just celebrate and rejoice um, and coast into the next stage of our life. And yet, if you look at verse 14 through 15 in Exodus chapter 15, God says the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. I don't know about you, but I think you can quickly listen. You hear four different places mentioned. And those four different places are in the exact order in which they will encounter them as they move into the next stage of God's exodus and deliverance. So he wasn't done with what he was desiring to do in his people. There was now a greater exodus and deliverance to come. And as he would move them into the promised land, these are the people they would encounter. First, the Philistines. Then they would encounter the people of Edom. Then Moab. And eventually, they would encounter different groups that are in the land of Canaan. What a reminder maybe to us, as we've said before, that not to just rejoice that you are saved in Christ, but to consider what has he saved you for? And that that's an ongoing, an unfolding work in Exodus that really is always pointing to something even bigger and greater to come. If you look at verses 16 and 17, you have really God's unfolding plan of salvation here. There she says, by the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until... Your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, where you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary. O Lord, your hands have established. Can you catch in those verses what's God's unfolding plan? He, He wants to lead them to a place of permanent security, and safety, and protection, a place where he will dwell with them, and they will dwell with him. That's a picture of a greater exodus, an unfolding deliverance, and as you listen to those verses, like I'm going to bring you to a place where you will dwell, and, and I will be dwelling there with you, does that remind you at all of what Jesus comforted his disciples with in John 14, when, when he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I may, where I am, you may be also? Isn't that the greater deliverance that that each of us in Christ are, are eagerly looking forward to, especially when we, you know, experience the loss of a loved one or know others who have lost someone that that's a greater exodus to come. And then finally, verse 18 says, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Isn't that the new heaven and the new earth? So in a way, by reliving the exodus, it's more than just looking back on history, but it's then also rediscovering the God of the exodus. So it shouldn't surprise us if you know your Bible a little bit to realize this song comes up again, and it comes up again in Revelation chapter 15. So let me read for you Revelation chapter 15 and verses 1 through 3, and think of how, how appropriate this song is, given that it's referring to the ending coming of God's judgments before he returns, and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 15 and verses 1 through 3. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed." And so we are doing exactly what God intended. We're looking at this song of Moses and and Miriam as they led the people in worship, concluding that's our song. They're, They're singing our song in Christ because that ultimate exodus, comes when Jesus Christ returns. Anyone have any any questions or thoughts that you have in light of that? I think it's so fascinating to see how the Bible connects all these events. And again, they reach their fulfillment. Those promises are ours in Christ. So let me pray. And then what I'm going to do to close us out is I'll pray. And then I'm going to pull up the Lord's Prayer. And hopefully we can all see it, and then we'll say that together. Uh, But let me just pray first. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you are the same God who delivered your people through the Red Sea, who will be with us during our trials and difficulties, that you are a God who will deliver us ultimately into your presence to a new heaven and a new earth, where we will sing the song of Moses, the song of an exodus uh, that is continuing to unfold and is completed in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.